like up-to-the-minute sports news, information, and analysis? This probably is not the podcast for you, then. However, if you're in the mood to hear two overeducated baseball analysts discuss semi-current events, then this is in fact the place for you. Hi, I'm Carson Sestouli, Fangraphs contributor and occasional destroyer. On this particular edition of the pod, we feature a new look, a more intimate look, as we experiment with a one-on-one format. Matt Claussen joins me at the round table today. And we use this as an opportunity not only to look at a couple recent news stories, but also to figure out why they might be attractive. In particular, we look at the firing of Trey Hillman from the Kansas City Royals, and we look at the whole of the Ken Griffey Jr. sleeping saga. One question that most mainstream news sources will not cover is what relevance these particular stories might have to the sabermetrically-oriented reader. In the first part of the episode, Clausen and I attempt to mine these stories for any on-the-field relevance. And in the second half, we shift gears, and we use Clausen's giant brain to help us understand why these narratives persist, and why mainstream news sources might go back to these particular wells over and over again. It's most certainly highbrow, it's probably a little bit brilliant, and it is indeed right now. Yes, indeed, it is time for Fangraphs Audio, and uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, we have a bit of a different look for you today. Uh, it's, things are getting pretty intimate here on the pod, as it's just me and Matt Clausen uh, sitting about the... What are you wearing, uh, Carson? <laughs> ...round table. <laughs> um, well, as a blogger, I think I'm uh, I'm totally allowed to just be in my in my skivvies uh, with, no, uh, with no repercussions. Uh, but that voice you you hear is the uh, is the plains soaked voice of Matt Clausen joining us from uh, from the the frozen north. How you doing? How you doing, Matt? I'm just great, Carson. How are you? <laughs> I don't don't ever talk like that again, uh, for a number of reasons. <laughs> Matt, I'm glad you're here, and the, because we're, I want to look at a question that I think is is both baseball related um, and is an interesting one for the sort of sabermetrically oriented writer slash reader. Uh, to consider, um, but I think it also requires uh, maybe the sort of mind that is comfortable with uh, dissecting these sorts of things, making sorts of uh, distinctions that I'm that I'm going to ask you to make, and, and that maybe um, you know I'll 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 try and make t- as well. There are three stories. There are three stories that have come out in the past week that have an air of intrigue to them, right? And it's always to me, it's always interesting to see, to consider how uh, how these stories might, I guess, uh, might rub the the sabermetrically oriented reader or writer, uh, because they sort of uh, take on life because they're because they do have that layer of intrigue. And then for me, the question is always, how are they related to baseball on the field? And I think that, that that's the big distinction. The three stories are these, right? We have Trey Hillman's firing. Uh, he, was, he was just fired and replaced by Ned Yost um, in Kansas City, which, is, of course, is a team that you follow um, probably more closely than others. We have the situation with Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, unfolding in Seattle, where Ken Griffey Jr. is rumored, was reported by Larry LaRue um, uh, in, of the Tacoma paper uh, to have taken a nap during a game. And, of course, there have been a number of... Um, there's been a little bit of fallout, I should say, from this story. And thirdly, we have a situation of the 
bullpen coach for the Philadelphia Phillies getting caught with uh, binoculars, using binoculars uh, out there in the bullpen. We can look at each of these stories, Matt, right? But the thing I want to make sure we get to is to sort of like for someone who, you know, writes for fan graphs or reads fan graphs, when, when do these stories, you know, what's the sort of, the sort of threshold of tolerance is the, is the phrase I'll use. Um, and then at, at what point does it, does it just sort of, um, you know, not appeal to you anymore, these types of stories? So I'm gonna, I'll pass it off to you for right now. What's, what story, you know, would you care to talk about first? And then, uh, maybe after we've sort of su- summarized the three of them, we can look at, you know, when we're done thinking about them. What do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about, let's talk about Hillman. Okay. I know we've had too much uh, Royal Stock in here lately, but hey, they keep doing stuff. <laughs> right. uh, and, and they and they just won't stop. Uh, yeah, Hillman, well, you know, with all these situations, actually, uh, they can be very frustrating because they don't really have to do with on the field. You can't really analyze them statistically. But one way of looking at it, I think, rather than getting irritated because they get dragged out so far, you know, into these recriminations and denials, uh, I think we can milk them for comedy potential. Uh, now, maybe that gets overdone. To me, it doesn't. I mean, uh, and, you know, the sabermetric community does have this uh, weird, at least, cousin of the uh, comedy baseball comedy community. Uh, and, and our favorite writers are funny guys. I mean, I, I don't know if I call them sabermetrician, but, of course, uh, the... The fire, fire Joe, Joe Morgan guys, uh, in their own way, did, their, did a lot to popularize uh, sabermetric missions and sort of sabermetric mockery of what we would see as uh, unwise baseball decision making and writing. Right. Well, it's almost uh, having to deal with. I mean, how else do you deal with the with the absurdly with the absurd other than to laugh at it, right? Yeah, and and, and Hillman, uh, to me. And I wrote about this uh, the night it happened, and there was so much to, to go through. I kind of I, I kind of rambled, but that uh, uh, to me the comedy thing of it was that that Ned Yost replaced him. Not that Yost is terrible. I don't know. Brewers fans can can fill in there, but that because we had joked about this on Royals, uh, this guy named Royals Retro. His name's Max. He's a he he writes really great history stuff in the Royals, but he, he's he's also a funny guy. And like two years ago, or maybe what was it, two thousand eight, when Yost had five with Brewers. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, uh, right. It, well, didn't he actually leave under sort of a weird layer of intrigue be- well, they, as they were well, in they their fi- playoff push? They had like two weeks to go in the season, and they come back to catch the Cubs, actually. Everyone forgets, and then they were blowing it again, and then Sabathia lost two starts and two weeks in the season, and apparently we came down from ownership. that Melvin did not want to do it. I don't remember uh, all the details, so I don't want to get it wrong. But the, and, and the funny part is not that Yost is bad, but that when that happened... Uh, on, on Royals Review, Royals Retro uh, posted this thing. Uh, uh, it says in the headline about it was a uh, future Royals coach fired by the Brewers. Now the joke, of course, is that Dayton Moore loves X Braves, and, and so as I said, you're not going to believe this. Uh, but Ned Yost coached for the Braves when Dayton Moore was uh, in player development there right. back in the nineties. And uh, oh, the other part, funny part of it is, is of course, development of the Brewers. His predecessor was. Wait for it, Dean Taylor, another John Sherholtz disciple who's going to turn. And, and of course, the Brewers were terrible under him, and he's and he works for the Royals now. So Yost actually got hired uh, then as some special assistant to something in the off season, uh, this past off season. And so, so for him to come in once Hillman got fired was just 
In a way, it was just perfect. Well, together, it, here, this is the concern, I guess, right? Because it's not necessarily nepotism. But as a fan of a team, you want to feel like your your GM and manager are giving you the best chance to win, right? And so if you feel like really the de facto mode for your GM is, is merely to hire people with whom he's already worked, I think that probably as a fan, I mean as a Royals fan, that's giving you the sense that he's not using his his brain to the fullest. He's essentially giving his... Uh, his friends' jobs. I mean, is that is that a concern you have as a as a Royals supporter? I don't know. Are you suggesting that maybe Kyle Farnsworth, Horatio Ramirez, Ron Mahay, Juan Cruz, uh, Nan Yost, which who are some of the other ones? Uh, Bruce Chen. Are you suggesting those 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 uh, hirings and signings didn't work out? <laughs> those are that's 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 an off the top of my head list of ex Braves that Dave Moore has has uh, brought in. Um, he also likes Jeff Rancourt a lot, by the way. Uh, right, but I mean, I mean, are you? So I know that we joke about it, but is the underlying reason again? Sometimes when things reach a point of absurdity, the only thing to do is laugh about it. Uh, you know. Well, in the, in the in the case of Yost, at least, I don't think it makes that big of a difference. I mean, because that's I mean, I hate to sound the sabermetric refrain, but uh, well, I'm sorry I, I, if it's repetitive. I'm not. I'm not. Sorry that I'm saying it. That managers don't just don't matter all that much. And my example from that is for all the times that Trey Hillman, you know, let Kyle Farnsworth face Jim Tomey in a in a close game, or uh, let Jimmy Gobble, you know, face right-handed uh, hitters. Uh, this is just there was a game uh, that I, I talked about this in my post. I think it was I don't remember if it was 2008. Yeah, I think it was 2008 that uh, after they finally benched uh, Tony Pena Jr. And you'll never guess what organization he came up with, uh, who was, you know, putting up historically bad offensive season. And anyway, uh, the Billy, it was a tie game, and Billy Butler got on base. And so, you know, Trey Hillman pinch, pinch ran uh, Tony Pena Jr. for him. And Butler's slow. And, and this is when Butler was DHing because he had to get Ross Glode in at first base. Um, anyway, and so, uh, and, and of course, Pena gets stranded. And, of course, the game goes into extra innings, and Pena comes up to bat twice. Mm-hmm. And, anyway, ends up getting the game-winning hit. Right. So, was it a good decision? No. It was a horrible decision, because pinch running I, almost never works. Uh, and, and of course, he's coming up to hit again, and, and he's the DH. I mean, one of the historically worst hitters. And so, luck sometimes is going to bounce in your favor. And that's why it doesn't matter. As, as an organization, yes. I mean, the organization's a joke. And the, the, on a serious note, I mean, seriously, one of the reasons I'm happy about it, I mean, Hillman was a terrible manager, and he was, uh, you know, he was as gracious as he was in his press conferences. And it's just like, I don't know if anyone else notices when a political candidate loses, concedes, they, they sound better than they've ever sounded in their concession speech. Well, they have uh, nothing to lose, right? Because yeah. as a manager, right, and as a, as a political candidate, yeah. you, you always are having to... Um, it's sort of like in your best interest always to to be a little bit vague, right, about any yeah. of your particular decisions. Because the the minute that you that you make um, a, that you state a strong opinion, that's when you start to lose people who disagree with that yeah. opinion. But Hellman's case, he's actually gracious for once. But but I, I don't want I want to belabor this. But the funny thing is, today he's on the radio gave an interview where yeah, yeah, the organization was great and Dayton's great. But you know, the fans were just so critical and it's hard. He actually used the phrase process, and Yost also used the word process like three times in five seconds in his uh, press conference today. And this has come up before. The fans are this implication: the fan, the Kansas City fans, are too stupid and impatient to really understand what they're doing. You know, and yeah, there is a. Pro- 
we understand, you know, that you're putting more money into the draft, you know, things like that. But it's as Will McDonald said, we also understand that you're one of the most embarrassingly backwards front offices in in the league, right. and you can't resist signing terrible veterans. And and so and so he's still he's still Dayton's yes man. So that those things are all frustrating. But yeah, Hillman, I feel bad for him because it's the end of his dream of being in Major League Baseball because he'll never manage the Major League level again. Uh, I mean, I would be stunned if he did. But you know, then again, uh, every time I say that, something terrible happens. And, uh, well, do you think he's a guy? So that's, so that's, he's, a, he's a he's a sort of manager who could because because you wrote in your article that he he seemed cornered pretty frequently, right? And his natural reaction was not to lash out necessarily, but to to act um, to defensive. act as though the, as right, right, right. He was defensive, and he would you know his sort of basic stance was that he didn't have time to educate. Uh, either the media, uh, the media, or the fans, right? He actually um, used that phrase once when explaining some of his uh, "quote unquote" brilliant reliever usage. That uh, you know, I can't educate. You know, I I, I, I don't like to get into the Texas bashing because uh, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. But if if there's it's so appropriate that Hillman was from Texas, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Uh, uh, but yeah, that was just a problem. You can read Joe as 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 you might say, Joe Posnanski has a great thing about this. You know, I wonder sometimes if uh, you know Hillman was a god in Japan. Apparently, you know, he led the Nippon Ham Fighters, and I uh, I wish I, you know, we should we should get Newman on here to talk. It would have been great to hear and talk. To, maybe he can talk about Hillman's uh, tenure there, it, because he led this team to two uh, championships. And I wonder if there isn't more deference to the manager in Japan. I don't know. I I'm not going to speak on Japanese baseball. That he making the adjustment to the American environment. You know, he lost the clubhouse basically his first spring training there, and that's overstated, you know, how important that is. But it is one thing a manager can do, and if they're if they're making jokes about him, you know, I didn't realize this. Uh, Posnanski said that by the end of his first season, they were frequently comparing him to Michael Scott from The Office, which is funny because one of my earliest posts before I was even a blogger uh, at Royals Review, you can look it up, it's called Bunts, Beanballs, and Billy Butler. Is comparing the 2008 Royals to the to the office and Mike and, and, and Trey is Michael. That's interesting because uh, actually in one of my uh, in an early uh, thing for me I sort of I compared uh, David De Jesus to Jim because he you always sort of imagine David De Jesus as being the one sane player on the team and maybe <laughs> like sort of making eyes at the camera as if to say what yeah. is going on here. Well, he does smile all the time, which bugs a lot of fans. But I, but actually, the, the, the ringer for, for for Jim Halpert is Alex Gordon. They just look exactly the same, and and Gordon always had a smirk on his face the first couple. Uh, so that maybe yeah. So that's the Royals. That's my take on the Royals. So it'll blow over as soon as something stupid happens this weekend, and then we'll all forget Trey Hillman. You know, good luck to him. I hope he you know, he'll stay in baseball. He worked in the Yankees minor league system uh, as a manager. Uh, before he came, to, before he went to Japan, uh, so maybe he'll go back there somewhere else. Uh, he's not going to be gone. I'm sorry, the dream's over for him. The best thing about it, from a Royals fan's perspective, is that I think uh, this is it. This was this was Dayton's guy, and he got fired. And he's not going to get to fire another manager. Uh, I personally, I think this came from on high. The organization is denying it. Dayton was giving. Well, at the end of the day, it was my decision. Uh, what? Um, this is as as. But, so, but so are I you worried that, that they're going to? To go uh, to make another bad decision, though, because Alan Baird wasn't much better, was he? Oh, you mean you mean after Dayton? Right. Well, Baird was terrible. I mean, I mean, I he at least he wasn't arrogant about it like Dayton is, but he was he was a bad GM, uh, and he uh, that's all the evidence we have. Right. Yeah, but I mean, as Buddy Bell famously said, it can always get worse. 
But who knows? I mean, maybe Glass will look around and say, look, maybe I should get somebody like, uh, instead of getting a guy from Atlanta, which, you know, they can talk about their system, but <laughs> they spent a lot of money back when Dayton was there. Uh, they did have a good system, but, but having said that, uh, maybe he'll look at a team like Tampa Bay or Oakland. These are teams on much smaller budgets than Kansas City is operating on. And, uh, yeah, Oakland isn't, uh, hasn't been dominating, although I think they have a shot this year, uh, but they're not an embarrassment. I think Tampa Bay is doing okay. Okay, so let's move on to uh, to another one of those sort of intriguing stories. I, I think that it makes some sense to spend a minute or two on the, the Mariner situation. The basic outline is this. Uh, Larry LaRue reported uh, of the, what is it, Tacoma News Tribune, something like this. He reported that, uh, you know, King Griffey Jr. had been asleep when uh, there was a consideration that he might, you know, be used to pinch hit. There was uh, some sort of Mariner team meeting, and then there was a blackballing of LaRue. Uh, Cliff Lee, I think, during his press conference after, by the way, another excellent start, Cliff Lee appears to be legitimately one of the best pitchers in the majors. Uh, it's, not, it's not shocking news, but uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. And I, you know, now being on the West Coast, and him being on the West Coast, I had, you know, this is my first real opportunity to. I've seen, you know, like his last three starts. He's just a lot of fun to watch. He owns, he owns the strike zone. Uh, but, but Cliff Lee wouldn't speak until Larue had left. So you sort of build up these layers of intrigue, and you know, you have reporting about reporting. Essentially, is is the thing that comes out of all of it. Um, so I'm wondering for you, Klassen, do you stop listening when it stops becoming about baseball in the field? Do you, because you don't necessarily have expertise in it, do you just not try to make any assumptions about, you know, the importance of uh, or the effects of clubhouse unrest on per player ability? Um, how, how, you know, what's how does your sort of take on that? For one thing, Carson, I take issue with the idea that I don't have any expertise on the sleeve habits of men around 40 years old. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is that is that, that, is something that might I know be an expert. Of, yeah. Uh, so so. You owe me an apology, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, I don't care. I mean, it, like I said, it's just funny. I'm real. I'm sorry. Just the idea of some some mystery player. I don't know who knows if it was uh, Gutierrez. Uh, I kind of hope it was Langerhands, so he wouldn't. Because I love Ryan Langerhands, even though he's like totally boring. I mean, he's not Kevin Gregg level boring or Brian Muller level boring. But the idea that Langerhands was ratting out, uh, you know, the super duper star. Is Langerhands a Mennonite uh, name? Can we? Uh... I have no idea. Oh, okay. I, 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 I have no idea. He has. He wears a big cowboy hat, though. I think he's from Texas. So, uh, anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, it's it's just funny. I, I wonder what Griffey looked like. Did he like have his feet up? Like feet up? Was he in a recliner? Do you remember when he and Dunn were both in Cincinnati? And I don't know who the manager was back then. Somebody got really mad. Or maybe it was the GM. Got mad and took their recliners out of the locker room. That's I mean, was that like the same recliner, or did he like was he like propped up on two crappy little folding chairs? Uh, see, that's what I start thinking. I mean, yeah, I don't care about this. I mean, the Mariners see this whole situation though. This is what frustrates me about. It means like Oakland with Eric Chavez, at least they're just playing. But this Mariners, you know, they've done all these good things, but then with this DH situation, it's like they turn into the Royals or the Mets. You know, not only do they have a platoon of horrible DHs. Uh, who can't hit or play defense in Mike Sweeney, Ken Griffey Jr. That not only are they paying Griffey more than the minimum, that they uh, that the leader gets caught sleeping. It's it's really funny, but it's irritating because they've done all these other smart things in terms of you know 
getting undervalued defensive players, you know, making the Cliff Lee trade win now. You know, the Bradley thing hasn't worked out, but that was a still could turn out to be a good move. Right. Uh, but 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 then th- just to let the DH thing. So that irritates me because on a baseball level. So is that is uh, that I mean does that is that really the story for you? It doesn't matter if Griffey's slipping or not. It's the fact that well that well, Griffey's me, just not a great DH. Yeah, to me it's just that that's the issue. That I really get we talked about this before the podcast. What gets me up in arms is I understand there's a public relations thing with Griffey going on. Um but this is a team that looks like it's built to win in the near future. They're not young. This isn't a young team on the field. Uh they made these trades for Lee who's gonna be gone after this year. Uh, uh you know, it's pretty unlikely that he's gonna re sign with them uh, before the year's over. Uh and you know that and the division is winnable. Of, the division is is a winnable one. Well, 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 at least it was at the beginning of the year. I think right. it's slipping away. I think they're, they're, I would be surprised if they weren't sellers of the deadline at this point. But is that what does baseball? You know, so I read an article by a by a by a journalist I respect. So I don't want to call him call this person out because I've read this other people talking about what they owe Griffey. Okay, now the organization might uh, uh, have a vested interest in in having the public publicly good face on their relationship with Griffey mm-hmm. um, and they should but what do they owe him they owe him about two million dollars this year what does he owe the organization I mean this is supposed to be a, this guy's made almost 160 million dollars in his career uh, just in salary that's outside of all the endorsements and everything else they don't owe him anything more than his paycheck in a literal sense I hate that kind of moralizing about it uh and I don't say cut him because he was asleep in the locker room, although it's a joke that he's supposed to be there for his leadership. I mean, bang up job with Milton Bradley, with being Milton Bradley's hero there, guy. I mean, that's not the sleeping. It's just that obviously Milton's problems are not cured by being sandwiched between Griffey and Sweeney. Um, wow, well, wait, even, that, that's a disgusting portrait you just painted, by the way. <laughs> well, I just that I, I think Sweeney's locker locker is by his. Okay. And, and, and then, but, but, but then, but then here's a guy who's taking up a roster spot that could be. But, but you don't expect. Listen, Clausen, you can't. You don't expect, right? You don't expect a player to say, "Oh, I'm done. This is it. I'm just not good anymore." No, and I agree with that. I've said that. that. That it's not the player's responsibility, it's the team's responsibility. I don't like the moralizing tone that they owe him anything more than that. Well, let me float this by you. They owe him as a person anything more than how they treat any other player. If this was Mike Carp, would anybody be saying uh, the organization owes it more? Let me float this by you. What if there's a possibility that the mystery person who sold this story is not actually a player? What if it is the Mariners' front office? And you they're, know, they're essentially looking for a way to get rid of Griffey such that they're not held accountable. You know, like, if they just released Griffey, it would look terrible. It'd be terrible from a PR perspective because he is still beloved in Seattle by sort of, you know, Joe Joe Briefcase fan. But what if, what if they find a way to sort of demonize him? Not demonize him, but just make him seem like a 40-year-old person who needs to take naps during games. You know, like you would, Clausen. Yeah. Well, he's got... <laughs> but but what if it's an attempt at the front office to to say uh, they slip they let this maybe it is true and they let it slip and they actually don't really care one way or the other but they know that there'll be like this uh, hullabaloo yeah that's right I said hullabaloo uh, surrounding that's 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 pretty I actually that actually crossed my mind today to bring up I thought it would be irresponsible for something but that actually crossed my mind which would be a terribly low thing for them to do uh-huh. but would be kind of smart. <laughs> <laughs> that maybe he would be so uh, embarrassed that he would just retire. Well, we're not. And uh, I, I should make it clear: we're not saying this is the case. It's just, no, it's just you're no. looking for 
for you're looking for explanations that would make sense because I don't see any I don't see really an incentive of a player on the team to to come out and tell Larry LaRue that. And in fact, I believe LaRue said there was more than one guy who said it. I could be wrong. There, there, there were two. Uh, and I think at least one of them was supposed to be really like her. If he was like making excuses, like he's away from his family a lot. <laughs> Sorry, this is, I, I, I just think the whole thing was hilarious. Right. I mean, not on just a level. Because I mean, there's some dude sleeping during a game. Here's a leader. You know what I think a team leader should do? Be like if he can't do anything else. I think he should like baseball and not fall asleep during games. You know what I also think about a team leader? I think he shouldn't have to have some broken down dude who's like a semi legend of one of the worst franchises in baseball have to like be his uh, strong man in the locker room. I love Mike Sweeney as a Kansas City fan, but when Mike Sweeney, when you don't have enough clubhouse sway, when you're a god in Seattle and Mike Sweeney is the guy who has to call people out in the locker room for you, I guess your leadership skills aren't there cracked up to be. Okay, so let's. So what we're going to do now is. And we can include the um, the binocular situation in this. Like, I'm curious for you as to what your threshold is for these sorts of stories, right? Um, so, so if, as a uh, as a fledgling sports writer myself, but as a person who's read sports writing for some time, I find that the sports pages are taken up inordinately uh, by stories that, while yes, they involve sporting figures actually don't concern the sport on the field at all, right? So if you talk about, um, well, Barry Bonds and steroids is a, for me, it's a it's a quick story. This guy might have taken steroids. Did he or didn't he? That's what I want to know. If I don't know that, then I don't care. Um, or like if, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, player X from the NFL is involved with uh, uh, a rape charge or a, you know, like a possession of a weapon charge. Um, I, I I guess I care about the story insofar as it might affect his time on the field, but for me those are not sports stories per se. They have to do with um, they they concern social social problems, and those social problems involve sporting figures in so much as sporting figures are also people, right? And frequently in many of the sports, this is obvious. They come, uh, you know, a lot of sporting figures come from lower socioeconomic categories, right? Which themselves are probably, they probably grow up more predisposed towards violence or just what we consider irresponsible or unlawful acts because that's, you know, because those are the numbers. I guess my, my question for you is, at this point, is what, what is your sort of tolerance? What is your, what is your willingness to, to, um, to regard these things as stories? And at what point are you just willing to get rid of them wholesale? Well, as stories, I'm pretty much done with all of them. Uh, on the surface level, uh, so my threshold is uh, low. Would it be low? I never is, is it low or high. Low. I like. I, I'm sick. I'm, Your I'm sick of it. Your threshold tolerance is low. You don't. You don't care yeah. to tolerate them anymore. Yeah, you know, as, as as an ongoing story, it's done. I mean, the larger organizational reality. What are the Mariners doing? Um, why why do they why are they the Rays? Uh, until it comes to the DH spot, and they turn into and they turn into the Astros. Uh, but but yeah, as far as the Griffey sleeping thing, it's over. Uh, with, with the Royals, uh, I just think it's part of the ongoing saga of the organization. And 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 it's a Royals. Of course, it's different for me as a Royals fan. And I don't want to hear anything, you know, an analysis of Trey Hillman's ongoing thing because he's just a manager. The Phillies thing, uh, who cares? I mean, teams have been stealing signs forever. Uh, I think there's yeah, there's legitimate questions about. Obviously, 
using electronic things uh, is specifically uh, outlawed. Binoculars probably borderline, as Nair pointed out, uh, but still, I, it's not even. I think there's issues of how much it even helps teams. Uh, but 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 that's just for the actual serious story part of it. And I'll confess, I mean, maybe this makes me obnoxious on a comedy level. If people are sincere in comedy, not meaning anything by it, I have a really high threshold of tolerance. Oh, because to, to sort of re, uh, re yeah. to to address the situation over and over, but ex- to, like essentially for the purposes of exposing its absurdity. Well, yeah, just because it's funny. I'm sorry. The idea of Griffey sleeping. In the locker room is is really fun. Did he snore? Is that how they caught him? Uh, is is is? And then I want to see Charlie. I love it when Charlie Manuel gets really mad because it so rarely happens. He's just like, I'm sorry, Charlie Manuel is like a living, uh, is, is like a living, breathing stereotype of an old, good old boy baseball guy. Don't you want to see him and Dick Tracy get into a fight? I mean, Woody. I mean, like how seriously? How often has Charlie Manuel gotten mad? The last time Charlie Manuel got mad was that time he threatened to beat up that. Reporter a few years ago. Well, here let me, let me let me ask you about this. Is you talk about it as being you know sort of a, a possibility for comedy? Oh, violence is not funny, kids. <laughs> <laughs> for all, it's, you know, as, as everyone knows, pretty much everything I do in my in my blog, it's about the kid. And I want them to know that was just a joke Uncle Matt was making. Violence <laughs> is not cool or funny, <laughs> unless Charlie Manuel's involved. Well, so yeah. so Matt, is it? Why why do the stories persist then? I guess that's my point, right? And, and I I trust your opinion on this because I I think you're a thoughtful person and I think you understand uh, something about human motivation, right? I don't think that the news organizations that release these, uh, I think you could question a number of things, but I don't think you can question their desire to release stories that will be read, right, and that will produce traffic. So you talk about using binoculars, you talk about firing a manager who's probably stayed past his welcome at least as far as his the immediate fan base is concerned um, you talk about the Griffey story which involves intrigue surrounding a you know a beloved player in your organization what is the narrative thread what what's what do these stories have in common and why do they appeal to people I, I guess at large what what is what is it there I don't know if they do appeal uh it's it's hard because I don't want to you know I don't like playing the oh the evil media especially you know as, as we bloggers sometimes do the evil mainstream media you know they're just so dumb well, that's not that's not the case I know people who are who are uh, real journalists and who are really good at their jobs and do good work uh, having said that uh, part of me just wants to say I'm in academia why are there ten billion journal articles on things like uh, <laughs> sorry ten billion why are there one hundred seventy five thousand journal articles on uh, whether you know CS CS Purse's uh, work for the uh, uh, on geodesics, you know I mean CS Purse was one of the greatest geniuses. We don't need that many because if publisher perish, if journalists have to justify their existence. Just like we, uh, well I shouldn't say we yet, we academic uh, just like academics do. We're right. producing, uh, but on the other hand, people like this human interest things. The cheating thing is intriguing. See to me it would be interesting if we in a context of like. Uh, Derek Zoomsteg, we talked about the history of cheating. Now, whether, I don't know, again, I don't know whether that's really cheating or not. But it, See, that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But to drag it out, it's a human interest thing, because we want to think also, in that case, it's a case of a rivalry. Well, pseudo-rivalry means the, the long-standing hatred between Denver and Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, the, 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 these teams can be in the playoffs, there's some blood of blood. Right. You know, we can, you know. Uh, well, actually, that's a great point you bring up about the Zoomsteg thing, though, is to look at it in context 
uh, as a writing instructor, you know, um, I spend uh, you know some time reading uh, writing by people who are you know just sort of getting accustomed to it, and maybe um, you know their work isn't entirely free of fallacies. Um, and so one of the, one of the the sort of tropes I see over and over, and you know, I sign an essay about Machiavelli, right? Um, and yeah. you know, for, I'd say probably for about a third to a half of the students, one of their first moves when they're writing an introduction to discussing Machiavelli is they they'll say something like, throughout history, uh, you know, um, man has wanted to rule other men or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, that like something for Shea Guevara's notebooks, right? Right. Or, or they might say, in modern, you see this a lot too. In modern day America, uh, modern day America is much different than uh, 16th century Italy, right? But without much further development. And I think that maybe there is a sort of short-sightedness, right, to say modern day America, and we don't necessarily view ourselves as being connected to the past. And, but, when, but when you discuss these sorts of things, right, like uh, cheating, um, I think there's a tendency for people to be short-sighted to it, just, whereas cheating has been around for a long time. I mean, cheating's been around for as long as people wanted to win, I assume. Is, I mean, oh, I think Barry Bonds started it. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so he didn't start it. And I think that, but I think that anything that we feel, we have to ask, one of the, one of the, the initial instincts, one of our initial instincts should be, how long have people been feeling this, the same exact way that I've been feeling? You know, and I think it's actually, to, you know, to bring it out of baseball for a second, to, to just expand it, I think it's a humbling, it's a humbling practice, uh, just to, to go about in real life too. You know, to, to, to the idea that if you feel something, you know, while, if, for example, you, Matt Clausen, right? I'm sure you're a, you're a lovely person, you're very smart, but if you feel something. The chances that the you know ten billion people who have ever lived before you also you know one of them has felt the same way and that's just a fact. Um, no way, man. No, you're you're I'm, you're, you're I'm totally individual. unique. You're, you're totally unique. But right, but so if yeah. someone's cheating, it's not the first time it's happened, um, and it's not a sign of because you know. And I say this because I just read this Bus Visitor, or I didn't read Bus Visitor. I, I, I revisited that Costa Snow piece with Will Leach and Bus Visitor. And, you know, Bissinger says, you know, Bissinger, he gives the sort of party line for old people. He says, I think Will Leach and everything he represents is a dumbing down of America. Do you know how long people have been worried about a dumbing down? <laughs> you know, <laughs> A long time. Yeah, right, a long time. It, there's always a great concern that the direction we're headed into is one of dumbing down. It's, you know, it's the end of the intellectual tradition. Yeah. Or that the world, I mean, the other, you know, the same token, the world is about to end, right? Um, well, this is hilarious. This brings us back to Hillman because the famous Hillman Moore line uh, last at the end of last season was that people are getting impatient because Americans are because because Hillman because of his Japanese experience says, uh, you know, over there they're used to a process. Americans want instant gratification. <laughs> but as my my hero Will McDonald, one of my heroes Will McDonald says, uh, yeah, that's just great analysis. Can I borrow your copy of Mega Trends 1982? <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in addition to that, I will say. Uh, if anyone is hungry for innovation, it is the Japanese people. I, uh, oh yeah, that, that's 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 what Will also said. He says, "Yeah, you can definitely tell that America is unique in its need for instant gratification." Anybody wondering the uh, dark, mostly quiet streaks of Tokyo can attest to that fact. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I mean, lost I, in trans, lost in translate, lost in translation. I think that movie was basically about a monastery. The I uh, I when I was in grad school, I. Um, 
I knew this Japanese girl. She's very intelligent and uh, uh, very interesting. And when she, um, you know, coming to the United States, her first week there, she got a cell phone at like the local singular AT&T wireless place or whatever. And they gave her her phone, and this is before the iPhone or anything. And uh, having come from Japan, where you can, you know, watch TV on your cell phone in the subway in you know the year like 2003, uh, she she looked at her phone. And and she just sort of looked up it with like this look of kind of disgust or sadness on her face, and she goes, "It is so primitive." <laughs> and, and to me, that You're such you know, a racist, Carson. Well, uh, <laughs> I am racist, but this is actually not not the case of, of me being so. This is a fact. Sorry, I'm just doing the hard time. But but that you know that's the timeless, timelessness of instant gratification and uh, the dumbing down of America. Right, and I, and I think that it, it, that's a common meme, and I think for some reason that is, it feels good for a certain type of person to say, right? For you know, for a Buzz Bissinger to say this is an example of the dumbing down of America, or I'm getting to the age where it feels good for me to say stuff like that. Right. Well, why do you? I mean, what do you think it is? What's the pleasure? What's the pleasure involved in that? Or what you know? What sort of out of what anxiety is it coming? Oh, man, we're pretty far afield from baseball, but part of it's being an old dude, but part of it, I think, in Bissinger's case is, uh, you know, people are going to find this weird to say this. He's a smart, articulate guy. That sounds condescending, but, but you know, he has a, a good reputation as a writer. I mean, I think he, didn't he go to some really snooty prep school and stuff? Like, was it Phillips Exeter or something like that? I don't Whatever know. it was, it probably uh, wasn't as good as Milton Academy, where I went, but, but so, continue. But so, you know, <laughs> is, it, where, is that the place where you're seen and not heard? Cram it. Continue. <laughs> but, uh, I think I think in Bissinger's case, uh, he's a bit of a Mandarin. Uh, you know, he's 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 an older. Part of it's getting older. I mean, I feel myself think that all the time. I mean, I want to shoot myself. This was years ago when I lived in New York. That uh, I lived in the Bronx. I look out the window and I think I to look at those teenagers on the corner. <laughs> now that's an old person thing. And part of it's you know he's a smart guy. He's been writing for a long time, so he sees this. He sees this change. Uh, so uh, you know that the guys like Will Leach. Uh, well, yeah, but to connect it to this, to connect to this on that Costas Now episode where where Bissinger and Leach are going at each other, or really Bissinger is just trying to eat whole Will Leach. Yeah, there, there's was... a discussion of Matt Leinhart, you know, the former USC guy, then Arizona Arizona Cardinal, being yeah. caught taking a beer bong or something like this. And no, he was he was he was administering a beer bong to underage girls. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, to me that's more excusable. But I'll continue. The yeah. the thing is. You know, Leach's approach was, well, or you know, Bissinger's approach was, you're trying to humiliate him. And Leach was like, you know, that's not really how we go about it because we ourselves are, you know, in our 20s or our 30s, and we recognize that that's something people do. So, even though we have greater access to it and we're more likely to publish it, we also we don't have we don't regard it with the same sort of emotional gravity as maybe someone who's a little bit less. Um, Technology savvy, or you know, just I I I I refrained. I I refuse to say jaded because I don't think it's a question of being jaded. I think it's actually being more forgiving. You're like, yes, this is a young person. He does this. It's funny to see, right? Like maybe the binocular situation is kind of funny, or Griffey sleeping is kind of funny, but you it's you don't regard it as like the fall of of your civilization, which I think is maybe why these these stories gain some traction. Well, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of between that. I know uh, it'd be interesting because I know we had an interesting discussion in Arizona. Uh, well, I actually was just listening to the discussion between uh, you and Dave Cameron 
uh, about uh, his feelings about those kinds of stories. I think it's a little different than yours. Am I recalling that correctly? Yeah, you might. I, I, all the, of course, whatever Dave Cameron says, I, you know, I trust that it's been thought about because that's sort of his mo. But continue, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I'm, I'm sort of between the two things. I mean, I think there's a difference between. And I, I say that. I mean, I feel bad. I thought the Lionheart thing was hilarious because I don't like Matt Lionheart. That's just I, I don't know him personally. That's just a subjective impression. And and there's in with Matt Lion, yeah in that specific case. And we, I guess we're not trying to talk about the specific case. It's funny because. There's a guy who I think, yeah, for me, the feelings are not good. It's a guy kind of getting his comeuppance. <laughs> uh, so that, that well, that's not the specifics. I think, I think that's a little bit different because uh, that's his that's his own time. Griffy at the Griffy in the clubhouse. That's the team's time. To quote uh, Mr. Hand from uh, Fast Times at Richmond High, which most of our listeners weren't born when it came out, but. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but the, 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 but also but, but, you know uh, the, the binoculars things that is a game issue. I mean, I, get it, having it you know, dramatized and carried on week after week. I mean, personally, as long as Manuel and Tracy keep, you know, I'm sorry. So see, see, I'm representing also the, the 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 worst of my generation. I mean, even though it's a serious thing, if people act like jerks and uh-huh. can't let it go, I mean, uh, as long as Manuel and Tracy keep sniping about it, uh, it's entertaining too. And saying hilarious stuff about applesauce or whatever. To me, that's entertaining. It shouldn't be, but it is. Okay. Well, we've we've uh, as soon as we invoke applesauce, uh, it's time to go. But uh, Clausen, I, well, I do want to thank you, and uh, I think that this is actually uh, an interesting format and one that I would like to follow up upon in the future. Um, but no uh, doubt. You know, what's that? No doubt. No doubt. Right. No doubt. Which is also a band that you probably haven't heard of because you're so old. But no, in, I have in, heard of them. They're terrible. In the meantime, I want to say thank you to you, and I. This is where you say uh, that you've had fun on the podcast, so go ahead and say that. Thank you. I, thank you. I've had a lot of fun. I, I hope uh, I hope the people I've had listening to it, but it was, it was sure as heck fun recording it. Well, in fact, uh, what you don't know is that I'll have edited it down to seven minutes long uh, <laughs> by the time it's done. But anyway, yes, thank you very much for joining us. And, and, and uh, to the listener, if you're still with us, thank you, Russ, uh, thank you very much for joining us on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.